Father, thanks for your goodness to us, your pursuit of us, your love for us. We ask, Spirit, that you would meet us in this space this morning. God, as we look at your word and do our best to understand it and unpack it, would you make sense of it to us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts? We ask that you would do it this morning. God, would you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it, hearts to be transformed into the image and likeness of your son? We love you. Thanks for this opportunity to spend time together in your word with your people and by your spirit. We pray that you would meet us in this time. We ask it in your name. Amen. Okay, so two weeks ago, I went to the dentist, which is never a good way to start a sermon. Uh, so I, I, here's how I feel about the dentist. And I know there's some dental students in, in, in the audience, so God bless you. Uh, I don't love going to the dentist. I don't know anybody that does. And I feel like going to the dentist is like going to the mechanic. Like, I, my car works. I try to do maintenance on my car, oil changes, all the things, so that it continues to run as it is supposed to run. But if I go to any mechanic with my car today, they will find something wrong with my car and want to fix it and charge me uh, money for it, which is why I don't want to go to the dentist. I just don't want to do it, right? So if I take care of my teeth, if I have maintenance, unless something is broken, like, ah, I don't really want to go, which led us to this summer. So I knew something was wrong with my back tooth, my right back tooth. I'm like, okay, this is, it's hurting, it's sensitive. It's, so I just started chewing on my left, assuming it's going to fix itself. Because <laughs> like, why wouldn't it just fix itself, right? The body's an amazing thing. Uh, I don't want to go into the dentist and spend the money and all the things. And like I'm an Enneagram one, I'm just going to get shamed of like, ah, you're doing it wrong, right? Um, which is probably true. So it got to the point of no return where this, this I, I'm like, okay, I got I to go get this fixed. It's not fixing itself. I got to go in. My wife's like, you should go to this new dentist. They're amazing. I love them. They're great. So I was like, okay, I got to go in. So a couple weeks ago, I go in and I sit down and they're great there. If you need a good dentist, come find me after uh, they seemed super honest, and, and, and really, uh, they were very, very good. And so they take x-rays of my teeth, because I've never been to this specific dentist. And then so I'm sitting there after I do all the x-rays, and then the dentist walks in, and he looks at the x-rays, and he goes, oh. I'm like, oh, that's not good, right? <laughs> I, I know something's wrong. And he goes, this back right molar, he goes, you've had a lot of work done on this thing, haven't you? And I'm like, I, I guess, yeah. And he goes, it looks like you've had two root canals on this tooth. Is that true? I was like, I don't, I don't know, dude, probably. I don't, I don't remember. I black out when I leave, right, the dentist chair. And so he goes, I'm pretty sure that's the case. He goes, whoever did this, because um, if you had multiple dentists, whoever did the second root canal on your tooth, that's like really not helpful to do. Because what happens is when they drill in that, into, the, into your gums on the second, it, it makes a bigger hole and then actually can fracture your tooth. And that's actually what has happened to your back molar. Like this thing is totally fractured and and dead. Your, your bone is dead back there. Like, are you staying up at night because of the pain? I was like, I'm not. Uh, he's like, it's, this is like broken beyond repair. I was like, awesome. So this week I'm going in and he's going to yank it out, um, which it'll, it, it'll be fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Um, <laughs> we are going to get to the Bible at some point today. I, pr I promise you this, this connects. Uh, so, but it's true, my, my tooth wasn't working properly. It's, it's been decaying for a long time because of those cracks that have kind of come up and they're fractured. My, my tooth is fractured, it's broken. And some of us 
We've had experiences in our life. We'd have things that have happened to us, things that we have done that have caused these fractures in our soul and in our heart and in our mind. And we don't, our, our, our soul and our mind aren't working correctly. And it might be even invisible. And we kind of put it off and put it off and go, I don't really want to work. I'm not sure what to do. Until it gets to the point of no return, you go, I got to do something about this. This is not how it should be. And so as we're going to close the letter of, of 1 John this morning, as we've been in it all summer, we're wrapping up the series today, um, what we're going to see is John, uh, in his kindness to his people, he's going to give them assurance and security in a world that is insecure. And because of all those cracks in our life, because of the things living in a broken world, the things that have been done to us, we have these invisible cracks in our soul and our heart that need some repair. And why does security matter? Like, why does that matter? If, if we have fractured in security in our life and understanding what that means, what, why does that make a difference? I mean, think of the areas that you feel insecure in your life. It might be your job. Maybe you have a job that, um, man, you're going like, I don't really like my job, or I'm not sure if I'm going to keep my job. Or maybe you just lost your job for some reason, and you're going like, this doesn't feel secure at all. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken and tattered for certain reasons. You're going, man, this doesn't feel secure. I don't feel like I'm on good footing. Maybe it's a financial issue. Like you go to the dentist and you're like, oh, man, like, okay, where's that money coming from that I'm now I'm going to have to pay for this thing? Or maybe it's health, right? We're all on our way declining at some level in our health. And so maybe you get a call, maybe you get a diagnosis and you go like, all of a sudden I was secure. And then from this phone call, I feel really insecure right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Could be your past trauma, it could be isolation, it could be loneliness. There are things in this world that get us off kilter, and then we go, I'm not sure how I should respond to this. The reason these stressful situations are important to pay attention to is because they can have significant impact on our emotional and spiritual health, navigating our days. When we're constantly on edge or worried about our safety or the safety of our loved ones, it's hard to focus on anything else. We're bombarded with external and internal challenges which undermine feeling secure, and when we're not secure, we're not connected, right? I mean, really think about it. If, if you give weight to some of these things that have happened in your life when you don't feel secure, you're constantly scanning either physically or emotionally the environment you're in and you're looking for danger. And when you're looking for danger because you've had these things happen in your life, again, whether it's emotional or it's physical, you can't be fully present. But because you're constantly going like, okay, when's, when's the next shoe gonna drop? Like what else is going to happen? And when that happens and you don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to stay connected to people or to the Lord. Is it even possible to have a sense of security in such a broken, insecure world? That's where John is going to go as he finishes out the book. Again, he's writing to his people to give them assurance. If you don't know the context, if you're joining us for the first time, there's division in this community, in this church, and John is coming in in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the insecurities, and going, this is how you can have assurance. This is actually how you can be secure in an insecure world. And so that's where we're going to go in this last part of the book this morning. The big idea, if you're writing it down, is how do you feel secure in an insecure world. How do you even do that? Is that even possible? The Bible says 
it is. And here's how we're going to walk through the text collectively together. In verses 6 through 12 of chapter 5, we're going to talk about a secure testimony in the midst of a world that bears false witness, that because of what God says is true, we can have a secure testimony in the midst of a world that bears false witness, verses 6 through 12. In the next verses, 13 through 17, we're going to talk about how we can have a secure ear in God, and he will listen to us in the midst of a world that doesn't listen. And then the last part, as we round out verses 18 through 21, we're going to see that we can have a secure protection in the midst of a world that's unsafe. And it's unsafe. The text even says it this morning. Like because of the brokenness and the shatteredness of our reality, it's not safe. So how do we have protection and security in the midst of an unsafe world? This is where we're going to go this morning. So if you have a Bible, it's already open. Open it up on your phone or a hard copy. You can follow along on the screen. First John, which is the back of your Bible, chapter 5. Let's walk through these verses together. This is verse 6 through 12. It says this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by the water, only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. There are three, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that has become, or that has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Let's unpack this section first in the idea of uh, living in a secure place in an insecure world. What does it look like that, that we have a testimony that is secure in the midst of a world that bears false witness? When we hear this word testimony, you see it a bunch in this section of Scripture. When you hear that word outside of the Bible, what setting do you think of when somebody gives a testimony? A courtroom. Right? A testimony is somebody's witness in the midst of a trial, their perspective, their story of what has happened, and a jury or a judge is basing the evidence of those witnesses to go, is that really true? Because they have to make a verdict, guilty or non-guilty. So if that's true, if, we're, if, if they're pulling that language from the court language, what makes somebody's story, their witness, their testimony valid? If you get somebody up that uh, is kind of a shyster and is known for lying and doing false things, and they say, oh, yeah, this is what happened, this is what happened, how much do you believe that? What, what the defense or, or the attorneys are trying to do is either build the character of the witness that what they are saying is true, or they're trying to break it down and go, like, you can't believe what this person is saying. Their character doesn't demonstrate a valid testimony. And so John is saying, listen, in the midst of this testimony, in these eyewitnesses, because again, there's these false teachers that are claiming something about Jesus that's not true, and what John is trying to do is go, this is God's testimony of what he says is true, and God's testimony is valid. If you look at verse 6 and down, you just go like, well, why is he talking about water and blood and the Spirit? What does that have to do 
with any of this. And if you've been walking through uh, 1 John with us on Sundays, you know that some of the, the false teaching that John was dealing with, a lot of scholars think it had to do with Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism means, it means known or special knowledge or having this knowledge. It's this cocktail of Persian and Egyptian and Jewish and Christian ideals with some Greek philosophy thrown in. And the baseline of this Gnosticistic teaching that was anti what Jesus is saying is this idea that, man, the, um, the heavens are what matters. The eternal what matters. Like the, the, the material here is all evil. It's all even, it was this dualism. And so they're saying like, listen, um, God came down, but he, he, he wasn't actually fully human. Instead, Jesus comes down and he takes the form of humanity for a season and then he goes back up to heaven. And the reason he does that, he comes down to give us this special knowledge so that we can escape and be made right as well. And John's constantly going, no, that's not true. Jesus was fully human. I touched him. I was with him. He is fully human. And some of what was happening with these false teachers is what they were saying is that Jesus came down, not in full humanity, but just kind of rested on this human named Jesus, and he did it at the baptism. If you read the early gospels, this is when Jesus gets baptized and the spirit comes down, right, like a dove, and the father audibly says what about Jesus? As John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, he says, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus starts his public ministry. And so these Gnostic false teachers were saying, like, this is when the Spirit came down, rested on the person of Jesus, and then actually the Spirit departed before Jesus went to the cross. Because if all matter is evil, then God can't actually die. God can't actually go to the cross. He just did it to give us this special revelation, and then he went out. And this is why John is going, no, it's not just the water, his baptism, it's also the blood. That if you take away that aspect of Jesus' ministry is his life, then the gospel is incomplete, is what John is saying. He said, unless Jesus went to the cross and shed the blood that we deserve on us, then he's not really the savior of the world. This is what John is saying. He's going, man, this testimony that these guys are saying is not right. And he's saying, like, listen, this is what it's articulated with the water and the blood and the spirit. They all agree that if we don't have the blood, we actually don't have Christianity. Because if you're not familiar with the story of the Bible or Christianity, that God, because of our own sin, our imperfection, our selfishness as humans, we've been separated from God. We're enemies of God, but God made a way back to us by sending his son, living a perfect life, death, and resurrection, and he beats death, and because there's a blood sacrifice that has to happen to make us right with God again. And so this is the reason John is focusing on the blood, is going like, if you don't have the blood, you don't have the Father. That's the sacrifice. That's the way that you get back to God. And we would agree with that. Christians, Christians in general would agree with that. There's a reason that our doors are painted red at the front of the building. It's not because they look good Red. I don't know if they do look good red. It's an old church tradition because when you enter this space, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's the only way you get right with God is through the blood of his son and his sacrifice. And when we come into this space, we're not relying on ourselves. We're not relying on our goodness. We're relying on the blood. That's why we take the table every single week to remind us where we have access to God. If we don't have the blood, we don't have the Father. And so John is specifically combating that idea. He's saying, this is God's testimony about his son. This is how you become a Christian. Look again down 
at verse 9, he's talking about God's testimony. He goes, like, listen, if there's somebody that's upright and, and it has a good testimony, how much more is God's testimony? He's always true. He's always right. And man, I don't know about you, but I just need that. Living in an insecure world, well, I don't know who I can believe. Even if they have good intentions, I don't know if I can believe the dentist. I don't really know. I'm kind of guessing based on my conversations, and I, he's got an x-ray. It's like, okay, this seems right, but I don't really know if that's true or not. And this goes round and round and round and round in every single relationship I have except because I can go, okay, in the midst of an insecure, shaky reality, and I can go to this person, I'm kind of always questioning, like, is this really true? Is this really true? I'm not really sure. But as I go to the Bible, as I go to Jesus, as I go to understanding what his word says, it's true. It's true every single time, and I need that in my insecurity. Man, I'm so thankful that God's word is true. And I can stand on that, because I can't stand on anybody else's word. Neither can you. We tried to do our best. We're going to fail, but God doesn't fail. His testimony is true. His witness is true. And what is his witness? What does he say about his son? Look down again at verse 11. This is, again, it's as black and white as John gets it, which is helpful as he kind of cuts through the tension of these false teachers. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you're questioning if you are a Christian, if you're born of God, this is real clear from John's perspective. It gets real black and white. Do you believe? Have you entrusted? Have you given your life to the person of Jesus because of the blood that he has shed for you? Have you recognized that? If you have, you have life. You have eternal life. Are you going to screw up? Yes. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. But do you believe that Jesus covers those mistakes? If that's true, you have assurance, you have security that you will one day be face to face with him. So that's the first part for us to be reminded of in an insecure world. How do we gain security? We hold fast to the testimony of God, his word, his son. And if we hold fast to that, we actually have life, not just life now, but life for eternity. A secure testimony in the midst of a world that bears false witness. The second section as we continue in the text in verse 13 is this idea of a secure ear in the midst of a world that does not listen. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give it to him, give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What is he talking about in this last section? There's a sin that does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. What I think most scholars believe, which I would believe as well, is what John is talking about, is there's one sin that actually leads to ultimate death, separation from God, and that's not believing in the Son. 
What he just talked about, that's the sin that actually leads to death. Blasphemy of the Spirit. As he draws you, you go, no, no, I don't believe that. That is the sin that leads to death. But there's all kinds of other sins that we ought to pray for our brothers and sisters, that we should pray for these false teachers, that we should pray for people in our community as we've talked about and as John has talked about, this is what it looks like to love one another in the midst of the mess. If you see your brother sinning, that you would pray. If you see your sister sinning, that you would pray for them. And the beautiful thing about praying for them is that God will hear us. Right? It says it there in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And have you ever tried to talk to somebody and really try to talk to them and you know they're not listening to you? Happens every Sunday for me in this room, right? Uh, and that's fine. If you need to nap, do it. Um, but no, like in, in an interpersonal relationship, just like the two of you, and you're talking to somebody, and you're kind of sharing your heart, and you can tell they're not really listening to you. Everybody kind of has a sense of that, right? My wife and I used to go on a date to uh, dates to, to BJ's Brewery. It's a restaurant, if you've been there. It, it's really good, and it's, it's got kind of like a sports bar feel, and it's got TVs everywhere. And so we would go out to, to, to our date and dinner to, to connect one-on-one, -on -one, to get away from the kids. And I would sit there, and we would be interacting, and she's kind of sharing her heart. And I, and I just see my I just I can feel like I'm, uh-huh. And I'm watching some game. And she knows I'm not listening to her. It's not kind. It's not helpful. It's not loving. <laughs> right? The, the number one way, Scott Peck says this, and I use this quote all the time in his, in his book, The Road Less Travel. He goes, the number one way to love somebody is to listen to them. Isn't that true? Don't you feel loved when somebody's listening to you? When you actually come up to them and you're, you're making eye contact and you're giving nonverbals and you, and you really are listening to them? Don't you feel loved and connected and cared for? And again, don't you feel the opposite of that? When somebody doesn't listen to you, even if they're in front of you, we all know that feeling. Again, like, for example, uh, we had to get a new Wi-Fi at our house recently, and so um, our Wi-Fi is connected to our pool pump. And so when we get a new Wi-Fi, we have to reconnect it to the pool pump. I don't know how many of you have experienced this in this digital age, but it's like, you might as well be trying to get nuclear codes for something. Because like to connect my phone to my new Wi-Fi to my new pool pump, it's like the most challenging thing I've ever experienced in life. And so we're trying to navigate this. My wife and I, we're watching YouTube and we're looking at the website and like we can't get a hold of an actual human when we call the support line. Nobody's really listening. And you're just so frustrated. Finally, it came to the point where we had somebody come over yesterday and walk us through it. And it was way different when they were listening versus like me trying to get through and nobody's listening and nobody's listening and nobody's listening. Do you know that the Bible says that God actually hears us? He listens to us. No other world religion will talk about a God that listens like the God of the Bible. And we should have security in the fact that God is actually listening to us in a world that doesn't listen at all. Because when I start to feel insecure, I need to go to someone that will actually hear me, that will actually listen to me. And God doesn't have to do it, but in his kindness and his love and his grace, he opens his ear to listen to his people. Oh, I need that. Guy came over yesterday, helped me fix. I got it all dialed in on my phone with the pool. He showed me how to manually turn it on. 
It was great. I was really after turning the light on. Like, I can't figure out how to turn on my light, which shouldn't be that hard. He showed me how to do it. Last night, I go out, it's dark. I try to turn the light on. Doesn't work. I about lost my mind. And then I came in, I think I threw my phone down because my mom was like, so what's wrong? I can't turn on the light. And I'm just so frustrated. And then like, as I'm like going, okay, let me just pray. And knowing that God's listening to me, the light magically turned on. No, it didn't magically turn on. <laughs> but what happened was God started to go like, why are you so frustrated at this light? Like, why does it matter to you? And he started to calm me down and go like, okay, it's still frustrating. I'm not going to pretend it's not frustrating. But like, is it really that important? We have a God that hears us in the midst of a world that does not listen. We have this prayer space off to the side. I don't know if you've been in it during our response time while we pray and we say, hey, if you want to write something down, you can go and put it in that prayer space. There's artwork in there, and it's, it's from Jeremiah 29, uh, 12, and this is what it says. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray, and I will listen. I'll hear you. This is unique to the Christian worldview. This is unique to the Bible, that we have a God that hears us in the midst of an insecure space, I can go to a God that hears me. That's massively comforting to my soul. And then let's look at this last part again, that we have a God that has a secure testimony in the midst of a world that bears false witness, that we have a God that gives us a secure ear in the midst of a world that doesn't listen. And in this last stretch, we have a secure protection in the midst of a world that's unsafe. Verses 18 through 21. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects, God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us true understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Verse 18 again says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. John is not saying that once you come to Jesus, you no longer sin. He said that multiple times in the book that actually you're going to continue to sin, but you have an advocate on your behalf. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar, he says that at the beginning of the book. And so this is not about being perfect. This is about continual growth in the midst of your walk with Jesus. The language is like you don't have a habit of continuing to sin. And so when you come to Jesus, when you give your life to him, it doesn't mean you're perfect. You're still going to work through things. But in the midst of that, God is changing you. As we've talked about things that you didn't think were a big deal five years ago, as you uh, read the word and the spirit convicts you in the midst of community and people pointing things out, you go, okay, I need to change. Like I'm not going to still be the same exact person I was five years ago, two years ago, one year ago, because God is changing you. You're not okay with your sin anymore. That's what he's saying. And in the midst of that, he who is born of God, who's a Christian, God does what? Protects him. That you have protection around you, even in the midst of your bad choices. And even as you continue to improve those choices, God protects you from the evil one. And then verse 19, we know we are from God. 
Again, he is the source of our salvation. It is all initiated by him and from him, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the part, the, the part that, that says that the world is unsafe. That God, for whatever reason, in his sovereignty, in his love, he has given the enemy, our flesh, the world, and the devil. We talked about it in that in chapter 2 of the book. Like he's given him some ability to reign right now, even under his sovereign reign. And we see this. Like the world is just broken. It's busted up. It's messed up. Just read any headline. You go, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And even in the midst of that, God offers protection for people that are called his children. And we should take security in that. And then verse 20. If you've seen verse, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, it's the same language at the start. He's going, we know, we know, we know, we know. He's giving them assurance. He says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we, we may know him who is true. Now, there's interesting uh, nuance in the original language in the Greek when it's talking about no, those first three we knows in the beginning of 18, beginning of 19, beginning of 20, it's talking about a cognitive knowledge, information. We know these things so that what? We can know. And he shifts the language in the Greek. The, the last no in the middle of verse 20 is like an intimate knowledge. Right? He's saying, we can know this information about who God is. We can stand on those truths, those promises. We do those things. Why? So that we can know him intimately and we can be connected to him. I had the opportunity to meet uh, somebody new a couple of weeks ago at a wedding. And this guy's a professor at GCU, and we started talking and, and having conversation. I realized he's from Philadelphia, and so we start talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, He's like a massive Eagles fan, which is everybody from Philadelphia, right? And so we start talking about the Super Bowl that they won a couple years back in 2018. And we start talking about that's an unbelievable run. Uh, what, what happened with the team and Carson Wentz was about to be an MVP, the quarterback, and then he gets hurt. And then this backup steps in named Nick Foles and takes him and they, they win the championship, right? And we start talking about that. He knows all the stats, he knows the stats of that year. He knows the stats of the current Eagles. He knows the stats of Nick Foles, even in the championship game. And I said, well, Nick went to the University of Arizona where my wife and I were on campus ministry. And like, I had the opportunity and privilege to disciple Nick. And there's a difference from this professor's knowledge. He knows all the stats more than I do, but like, I, I know Nick as a person. We pray together. We share struggles together. And so what John is saying is like, listen, this knowledge isn't just supposed to be for your head. This head knowledge should lead you to a heart knowledge. And so the question for us this morning is going like, do you know God or do you just know about God? Do you walk in this room and you go like, oh, okay, I know the Bible stories. I know what's right or wrong. But like you don't have an intimate, real connection because that's the whole point of knowing these stories. And he, Jesus says it in John 5, they all point to actually knowing him. At a heart level. And do you know God wants to know you at a heart level? He desperately desires that. Not for you just to know about him, but for you to know him. And this is what John is saying to his people. 
that you can have security even in the midst of an unsecure world because all of those things are scary and real and you're still going to mess up and your kids are going to mess up and all those things are true, but you know you can have security because you have a God whose testimony is true and you have a God who listens to you and you have a God who protects you and one day he is going to come back and he's going to make it all right again. And so you hold on to that as your security. In the midst of broken teeth and pool pumps that don't work, I go, okay, one day he's going to come back. I believe that with everything inside of me. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me security. We're all going to have places that we're insecure in our journeys, every single one of us, because we live in a broken world. It's an unsafe place. The devil has some type of ability to do things. We get caught up in our own flesh. We get caught up in the world systems. And to not do that, but to realize that it's only because of the blood that we have security, and then we go back to those places. And the more we do it, the faster we get at it. The more we do, I may have been, I don't know, a year ago, I might have just, I don't know what, I maybe quit my job as a pastor because of this pool pump thing. I mean, like, but the more God works on me, not because of me, but because of him and his spirit, the quicker I go, okay, he changes me. The quicker I run to prayer in desperation and not in my own attempts. We all need to keep learning that as a community to go, like, we can have assurance because God is who he says he is. He's provided a way through his son, and we can trust that he's going to protect us in that. Even if it's like, man, you have a horrible life, but eternity you'll be with him when all things are made right again. Let's hold to that security. And then he says this, just as we close. It's so funny, verse 21 he says, little children, which he has continued to use that language if you've been with us. He's just so pastoral. John is so pastoral to his people. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols, which seems kind of odd because he hasn't really mentioned the language of idolatry in any part of the book. But what most people think, and again, I, I would agree with this, is just going like, you know what idols do? There are these false gods that have like a pseudo truth to them and so we attach ourselves to them and then they fail us every time what idols do is they bear false witness they don't hear us and they don't give us protection so john's going don't get caught up in those things even this false teaching is idolatry stay true to who jesus is and find your security there and in the midst of an insecure world what we're going to do as we respond is we're going to come and we're going to remember where our security lies. That's why we take communion every single week. As we come down this aisle, if you're a Christian, we invite you to do this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him. We come down this aisle, we take a piece of bread, which represents his body given to you, and we dip it in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Just like we talked about when we started the liturgy and the call to worship, that it's not about us doing all the right things, it's about us coming. Stop hiding, stop pretending. Stop trying to climb the ladder and just come and receive God's love for you, found in the cross, found in the person of Jesus. And let's take our security from that in an insecure world. Let's pray. Father, would you help us really know you? Not just know about you, 
but know you in an intimate and a true way. We need your spirit to help us, just like we see that your spirit is truth. He's the one that testifies to our hearts about the truth of who Jesus really is. And as we come alive because of your spirit working in and through us, we find life, we find connection. Even in the midst of a broken world, we can be secure. Help us realize that. Father, as we respond to your word, as we take communion for those that follow you in the crowd, God, that we would find our security in the bread and the cup because we're going to walk out these doors and there's going to be all types of things coming at us to make us feel insecure. We ask that you would do it in and through us and we pray this in your name. Amen.